Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I am your DJ, Rachel Mummert, and with me today, I have Dave Palace from Five Minutes of Mystery. Rachel, thank you for having me on. And I just, I'm just, I'm just glad we're, you know, we're in this cool muscle car you got going here, and oh, uh, we're, yeah. we're cruising this evening. Thank you for picking me up. Oh yeah, I got the top down. You know, it's nice summer. Got our shades on. Heck yeah. <laughs> Cruising up and down Main Street. And today we are talking about section 35, where we have Kurt's adventures with the pharaohs and his possible, maybe, initiation. And in this section, we will also cover the song Party Doll by Buddy Knox. So yeah, this is a, uh, this was a pretty, pretty good, pretty good section. I really enjoy seeing Richard Dreyfus as Kurt. And just how he's so, to me, he's just really, you know, go with the flow, kind of, you know, whatever situations he, he's in, you know, doesn't really phase him. He adapts to it and just, you know, oh, hey, I'm in a car with the pharaohs and <laughs> I enjoy that a lot. I, I know, I, I probably want to bring this up more. I can't get over how Richard Dreyfus. yes, he, it's the, it's the, what's it, the, it's the, it's the 60s or he's young. I am always like, no, you're an old man. Knock it off. Stop being a young 20 year old man in this movie. I like know. It, God. So, uh, but he's always like, he, I, he's, he likes to play the crazy neurotic guy. I feel like at least the movies that we've seen him in. So, yeah. I mean, this, I, I want to say right here. Uh, the guy, you know, young kid nervous, and now he's riding with uh, greasers, uh, the the pharaohs. Obviously, Jaws, where he plays a crazy like oceanographer that no one believes, in, uh, 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 other than Brody. And then a close counter of the third kind, where he's like, the aliens are talking to me. I gotta, I gotta get here. I gotta get here. So he's, so yeah, him in the back <laughs> of this car, and you're like, are these guys gonna like throw him in a ditch? Like you're just like, what are these guys gonna do with him? It is fun to see him just <laughs> acting nervous. Cause, all right, I'm sure maybe, uh, maybe, maybe one of your other guests is going to bring this up or whatever. But I'm going to bring this up now. I don't think they knew whose car that was, right? I mean, I think they just saw him and like they're like, let's just punk this kid. That's oh, how I see that. Because, because I was like, I don't know, I don't see a greaser driving like this car. This car, it's, it's honestly hard. You know, I'm, 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 you know, in my 30s here. I, I don't know a lot about cars, but it's hard for me to look at some of these cars and realize, is this a cool car or is this like an old man car? Because they're all just big steel box cars. <laughs> I know. Let's say they're not boxy, they're all curved, but it, it, it's, it's hard. Like when you get to the scene where, you know, Harrison Ford is, uh, is yelling at uh, John about his car, I'm like, no, his car looks cool. Your car looks like an old man car. Like, it's hard for me exactly. to be like, whose car looks cooler? I mean, it's a, re- his car's got an exposed engine. I think Mad Max rules say that car's cooler. I think that's the rule. Yeah, you have an exposed and that's engine. what I thought too. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially that section where he insults his car. I'm like, yours is just like, his is yellow and has an exposed engine. Yours is just like gray truck yeah. I guess but I I didn't really think about that with the car it's like yeah he could just be punking him like <laughs> now the pharaohs here I immediately could figure out like they have a it's a dark blood red car they got fur and red I love velvety that fur. interior I was like oh yeah th- this is definitely 
cool guy car. I was like, no questions out. This this car definitely also smells of cigarettes because you have the guy in the front seat. I was like, this car has so much cigarette ash by their feet. I, you could just tell. They just sit in this car smoking all night talking about who they're going to screw over. <laughs> yeah, and I just love how they automate, you know, he automatically... Oh, hey. Well, 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 look who got in the passenger seat. It's Mr. Sean <laughs> German. He just car surfs right man. over into ours. <laughs> Going my way. Sure. All right. Okay, Sean. So just just catching up here. We're in song 35. We're, we're, we're jazzing along the party doll. We got our cigarettes fully ashed right now. And we got, we got old man playing young man Richard Dreyfus in the backseat. And we got this a sweet fur line dash oh, yeah. cigarette smoke Max. floating through the air. <laughs> Maximum fluff. I like how I mean, like I said, these I'm not I'm not a I'm not a greaser gang pharaoh as much as I'd like to front, but I love how they see the cops and you go, Oh yeah, they gotta keep it cool. And they go, No, 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 let's let's really, you know, like I'm sure they had beef with the cops like a week ago. So this is their opportunity. But I was like, wow, you guys are uh playing it real dangerously. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I love how he's just like, I mean, they have like the sharp eyes out for the cops because, you know, he's just like, oh, foes ahead. You know, he can see the f- the fender and it's like, oh, my, like <laughs> he has they must have like that sharp eyes and they call him like the cherry. Well, oh, I'm- gosh, what did I- cherry, Jer- Jerry, I'm- cherry, 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 cherry. I assume that's the I mean, I assume that's the, that's that's the that's the automotive uh, owner. I'm sure that's the nickname he has. Over at the uh, the the uh, automotive place, but I mean, this is a small town. So at the same time, maybe they all like because at least that's the vibe I'm getting throughout this movie is that these are it's a small town in California, and you have all these like teenagers that are going different ways. You know, we're going to talk more about this later, but I just feel like they probably know the usual spots where cops will hang out. And yeah, I'll say like putting a cop car in the middle of a parking lot is great for like a stakeout. Like, you know, your eyes probably won't notice the cop cars if you're just driving by. Um, you just think, oh, these are all these just static parking lot cars. And then bam, there you go. Cops are on you. And I love, you know, before they talk about the cop, how when uh, Kurt asks him, like he is just, you know, he's all of a sudden like snap. He's obsessed with that mystery blonde. And that's like one of the, you know, that's, he automatically start you know asking him about that like hey who is who who do you you know do you know who that is and they're just you know oh yeah you can't afford her <laughs> and he just starts like that sputter laughter where he's just in like are they kidding are they not kidding <laughs> I mean yeah I I definitely know there's that time there's that time anywhere in young some young man's life where you see a girl and you're like I think I think she was hit on me and now you're like that's that your entire evening is just like. I'm a, I go to a, a comedy club and I remember like I made eyes with some girl that also laughed. And then like like an hour later after the comedy club, I was like, hey, should I talk to that girl that looked at me when we were laughing and we both made eyes? And just like and now that bugs me the entire evening. Be like, is that a lost opportunity that's not going to bother me for like the rest of the weekend? So <laughs> I, I immediately got that. I immediately got that vibe when Richard Dreyfus was like, oh, he's bothering everybody. Any car he's in, he's all like, oh, does anyone have any information? Hi. Hi. Four one one. So much so that, you know, he, got, like, he kind of got kicked it out of his former car, <laughs> the VW Bug. Oh, God, no, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you go, do prostitutes, do, do they drive around <laughs> looking for guys to pick up? You're like, you're like I is know. that? I thought it's well, the other one. You, just, <laughs> <laughs> you just walk along the street, prostitute, hey, big boy, you want to get in my car? Like, 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I guess I am looking for a good time. Yes. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> And I just think, I always think about, you know, in today's terms, it's like, man, today Kurt would, you know, he'd go home and he'd log on to Facebook and be like, okay, let's see who, you know, like Facebook stock the heck or any social media stock like the heck out of her to be like, okay, I will find out who this is. <laughs> Back then, <laughs> yes. it's like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> I just like how so blase they are like, oh yeah, she's a, uh, and he's like, he can, <laughs> he's like, you mean she's a prostitute? And they're just like, whatever. <laughs> they just yeah they're just like i don't need yeah they're like i don't know who that is and we don't care we got other things we have planned for you sean what were you saying yeah i'm sorry i kind of bulldozed right over you oh that's what i was just saying how it's you know back to what you're saying dave about being small town like everyone kind of knows everyone you know even like the next town over maybe if you don't know someone like you, you know, you know someone who knows them. Everyone's like one or two degrees away. But then like if there's mm-hmm. someone that no one knows, like if there's a real stranger, then that's that's like a special mystery. Like, wait, nobody knows this person. Someone's from outside of town. But otherwise, yeah, everyone knows everyone. Because so far we have that she's the jeweler's wife or that she, she's a prostitute. <laughs> Big difference. Or both. <laughs> I think it's definitely what makes these vignettes very interesting is the lack of communication between the different people. Everyone's doing their own thing. And then it's kind of interesting to see them meet up. Like, okay, all right, like an example. You know, you're going to have you're gonna have Steve and Terry and Debbie meet up. And, you know, you're going to have them now have, you, you know, both of their little vignettes. And now you're kind of curious how they interact and what they're going to say to each other. Uh, that we, we've both seen their separate stories. Now we're going to see them kind of linked together. And I think that's part of the brilliance of this movie, because I know I had read where originally they had wanted it to be a more ABCD storyline film, like where you went from like this, you know, ABCD story and it always repeated in the same progression. But once they started filming and, you know, editing it together, they kind of changed changed it so it and it flows just so much better this way than trying to have a formula to follow the stories in a certain order okay all right so um that's all right that's a good that's a good point to bring up because i was very curious uh, to ask you that did the studio go to George Lucas and be like we think this character should be the main character and everyone else is secondary because really no one has much more screen time than the other person they're all like given their own little stories and their own little highs and lows of character that makes them feel real they all have their moments where they seem like they're they're in control and then they're complete buffoons oh yeah because at this time, whereas any of them, like, I mean, they're all in their, you know, they're all in their 20s. So I don't think anyone's really like, no one's got to be super famous known at this point. Any of our kids. So not really. Because I was guess I'm curious when George so brought this before. to this, you know, to, to, to Coppola's attention. Okay, here's another, I got another question. Since your whole podcast is about the songs. I'm very curious to know, like, the amount of songs in here, I'm guessing this is before music licenses were that pricey, because the amount of decent, you know, not just a decent, good songs. These are good songs. These are decent songs. These are good songs, and they definitely represent the time. They, they must mm-hmm. stream, I don't have the streaming. Music rights to this type, of, these type of films must have not been a big deal back then, because nowadays you have a movie that has, like, 12 songs that people know. That's, like, a hundred, easily $100 million of just music rights paying. Yeah, and I know I'd read where they had wanted to include some Elvis songs, but that was, a, I mean, with uh, 
what was it, Colonel Tom Parker. He was kind of, you know, he was not easy to work with to get the rights, and it would have been a lot more expensive to purchase the rights to have Elvis songs included. So they kind of cast Mm. a wider net to get these songs And I know, I think the money for the songs was a slight issue, but once they got Coppola on board as like a, to help fund this movie, they kind of were a little more lenient in, in that aspect. Man, I, I, I hear, I read so many articles about the, like the stories between like the what ifs of like between George and Coppola, because, you know, George goes on to make, you know, Coppola helps George, George goes on to make Star Wars, and then Coppola tries to make his own studio and it falls apart and he kind of steps back and does the wine for a while. It's kind of one of these things that's like the other way might have been around where it's like, like, could, like you would you have had Star Wars if it wasn't for Coppola to kind of like help get George in? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. And And what would have happened if... You know, if like, yeah, if Coppola's studio just sadly did not get, you know, did not get bombed over. What if like, you know, what would have been, like, you know, could have lasted, could have been gone up against the other movie studios? Because that's the thing is like these guys had a creative vision and and but the problem was that like, you know, there's old, old movie money and, and no offense to the modern movies. But a lot of times you see the, the studio producers making the films where it doesn't feel like the director has a control or it just feels like. It becomes formulaic and it's also like we have a lot of comic book movies and I feel like a lot of these studios are going, well, this is the formula. You have the this, the that, and then the big fight. And then you go, all right, well, I'm starting to see the same pattern. I, you know, And then you have like, you know, some a movie where it, it doesn't seem like an insane plot. Like, example, John Wick, right? It's a revenge story. Guy's dog gets killed. He goes after Guy. Okay, it's a revenge story. We've seen these a hundred times, but... There's just something about the creativeness of that movie that I go, oh, it feels like a breath of fresh air. Like, yes, let's watch Keanu Reeves kill all these guys who, sh- who kill this dog. Let's just let's just do it. And there's sequels, and I'm happy for it because it oh, just felt yeah. so like we just it wasn't the same formula. I wasn't knowing what to expect. I, I wanted to kind of save this for you know. I'm, I have another plot. I'm going to bring up for another minute because I, I don't I want to blow my load all in one minute or actually one song. Speaking of song, we can segue into that aspect before we go further into the section um i didn't have a whole whole lot about the song um what we have is party doll by buddy knox to me i was kind of looking through the lyrics when i was looking up this song and it seems to me to kind of emulate what what kurt kind of feels maybe this mystery woman is about but This song was released in 1957, so it's very timely in where this movie takes place in 1962. And it was written by Buddy Knox and Jimmy Bowen. And it spent one week at number one on the Top 100 chart, which later would be called the Billboard Top 100. And I didn't know if you had any any more. Yeah, this song specifically, I'm not familiar. With. I'm not familiar with a lot of old songs. Like I feel like my my knowledge of like music gets really into like the the late '80s, early '90s, and stuff. But I don't know. I don't know how much music theory they had back. Like they were really working on back then. Because I know, I, like I said, I, the one YouTuber Patrick H. Williams did like an hour long video about different type of music in movies and how it's used and 
what certain directors use it and what when it's used right and when it's used wrong. Example, when it's used wrong is Suicide Squad, where they just throw <laughs> catchy music out to try and be like, it's cool, right? The song's cool and the movie's cool. And you're like, no, this this movie's a mess. It's a hot mess. So I don't... So yeah, like Party Girl could be like uh, the idea of what Kurt is hope, h- hyping up in his head. Like, okay, if these guys don't kill me, then maybe I'll... You know, he's, he's using this, the party. He's thinking about the blonde... And he's thinking, maybe if I don't get killed by these guys in the car, they don't, they don't, they'll throw me in, in, in a ditch or drag me behind them. Maybe I'll, I'll meet this girl. And I'll keep that as the, that little kernel of, of, of hope in the back of my head if I, if I get through. They haven't killed me yet. So I have a chance. And what I love about the, mu- the music in the movie, a lot of the sections that I have or have covered already, it's very, like we we hear the music in the car and it, it it's just kind of a natural feel like you know it's on the radio in the car and then we go over to Steve and Toad and Debbie and you know it's just it's very relevant to every scene like it's natural in each scene like it it could be playing on speakers at like a food drive-in restaurant or it could be on the radio that's what i love it's just so natural in each each scene that it, the songs are in you can make a case for debbie being the the party girl as well because oh yeah yeah i honestly don't understand why she starts this movie kind of walking alone she seems like a really positive girl and you're kind of like why is she already not having fun like why is it like it had to take terry for her to be like finally having fun it's like she should have been I mean, I'm glad she's in this movie, and I'm glad that her and Terry are having fun together. But it's just one of these funny things where I'm like, she seems such an uh, an upbeat, positive person that it's a shame that we're her friends. Like, why didn't they bring her along to wherever they're going? Why isn't she already, like, cruising around the town and stuff? Yeah, and that's kind of what, when we go to the where Terry and... Steve, Steve and yeah. Debbie. I know I'm trying to, like you said earlier, it's like, yeah, I have to take a second and be like, okay. I want to see Richie Cunningham so many times. <laughs> it's like, uh, these people. Um, I kind of get the sense that Debbie's kind of at the end of having fun right now. Because I know, you know, she was having fun with Terry. And then, you know, she wanted to get the, al- you know, she wanted him to get the alcohol and car gets stolen and everything else. So she's kind of had it. She's like, I'm done. I want to go with my other friends. And I want to, <laughs> I'm just done. Because Steve, you know, says he's going to Burger City. And he's like, any you guys want to go? And she's like, I do, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> she's kind of like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta respect Debbie in a weird way to like still have like a loyalty to Terry. Cause you're right. She could have just been like, all right, Terry, I'm going to go with Steve to Burger City. And you'd be like, I'm not going to hold it against her. Like, you know, she and, she and Terry aren't married. Uh, you know, if she's like, oh, Burger City, like it's, it's better than not having a car right now. Maybe I can meet up with somebody who has a car at Burger City. And I'd be like, all right, like it's her, it's her evening too. Like, if, like what's Terry going to do? Like mope around about the car? It's like, she's like, well, you yeah. know, so I got to give her respect to kind of being like, all right, I'm kind of still, I'm kind of still with Terry on this. Like even, in, even in his, she's not like a, you know, like, oh, well now you're not fun anymore. So I'm going to leave you. I, I got to give her, I got to give her props to that. That she's kind of like, all right, well, he's kind of, he's like moping in a bad, may, bad way looking for the car. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to leave him alone. So I got to give her props to that. And also Right now, I'm also not happy with Steve. Terry might make it, Terry might be making white lies about all his hunting trips, but Steve was like being a complete jerk to Laurie. And I was like, Steve, you could take a hike, bro. You could take, like, it's so funny. 
I, you see Ron Howard begin this movie and you're thinking the Richie Cunningham, you're thinking like how Ron Howard's a nice guy. And then you're like, oh my God, Steve is a jerk. Yeah, he starts out the movie and like the first scene he's in, I know we talk, Tierney and Doris and I talk about it, you know, automatic, you, automatically you're like, I don't like Steve, he's a jerk. And then, you know, you're kind of like, meh, and then then he falls back into jerk jerk territory and you're just like nope i'm done <laughs> he's a jerk i know i kind of I, I i i like the scenes earlier in the film when they're at the um the school dance i, I felt like when he was talking to other people when it, when laurie kind of was like all right i'm gonna dance away you know she's like i'm gonna just step aside and you know because she's like she's probably like i'm tired of arguing right now i just want to enjoy this dance hall right now and you know and then he's talking to the other girls i definitely felt like where you, you kind of see like you're, you're almost hoping that Steve kind of goes, have a reflection moment being like, oh yeah, like, I don't have to be an absolute dick. Like, I could still, like, even though, even if I'm going away, even if I'm, like, having an argument with Laurie, like, I, we could still end on, like, you know, take a hiatus on a respectable terms. But then again, you're like, well, these are also, like, young kids who don't, they have a closed town mindset and being like, well, that's it. Like, I'll never see you again. And so, yeah, so you have Steve here with, he doesn't have a car because Laurie kicked him out and the car he borrowed to Terry it's, I'm, I'm very glad that, like, Steve did not call Terry out on where the car is at. He still, like, he, I guess still believes Terry's lie. Like, I'm actually very surprised that, like, we don't, you know, we would think that he'd know Terry long enough to be like, are you, are you pulling my leg, uh, Terry? Where's the car? And that's what got me at the very beginning of the movie. Because I guess I couldn't imagine being like, hey, I'm going away to college or I'm just going away on a long trip. Like, here, use my car. Just take care of it it's especially if it's like your pride and joy i'd be like no nobody's touching that i'm locking it down and (laughs) so just to have that happen and have it get stolen it's like well well, (laughs) what do you expect (laughs) yeah especially like in the 60s i say we're we're you know where that's a new thing like having a, a teenager a young adult having a car, you know, car is not like, oh, it's dad's car. It's the family car. And that's the car the family has. Now it's like young people have their own car. It's how A, they get around. It's a status symbol, still is today. Yeah, it's almost like he rewards Terry as like a loyalty thing. Like, ah, you've been a friend with me, Terry. I'll let you like borrow my car while I'm out of town. I I don't know if it's a friendly thing or it's like a pity thing of why he gives the car to Terry. Like, or or maybe he's like, you're so safe and bland, Terry. I can literally leave you a car and like, and a puppy. And I know you're not going to hurt them. Like, you know, you're so, you're so bland. You're not going to do anything crazy. And he probably just thought Terry's going to drive. I mean, like what Terry does in the first like 10 minutes where it's like he just drives 10 miles per hour around the town. That's that's it. That's all he's doing. And I think he would think like, you know, you res- you will respect the car as much as I do. So I feel safe leaving it in your hands. <laughs> respects him more than he respects Laura. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love speaking of Lori, how I think. Terry's so focused on the car and with Steve being right there that, you know, he keeps saying about, oh, maybe Lori will be, you know, at Burger City and blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's sunk into his head when Steve has told him earlier, like, they're broken up. I think it's just one of those where he can't, that is just not registering because he's like, the car, the car, the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely, I definitely think. It's a two thing. It's either Terry is, he wants to keep Steve's mind on Lori, so he doesn't ask him about the car. So you just, you know, you just counter, like, oh, what about uh, Lori? Just like, keep thinking about the car. Like, have him 
Think about Laura so you don't ask me about the car because I don't want to talk about the car in front of Debbie. It's definitely that. But it's it also could be like Terry is just being like a good friend and not trying to write off Steve's relationship. Like, oh, maybe like, you know, you're having a rough time and maybe you'll get to, like he's trying to be positive. I don't think he's being like, well, Steve, you've been a real jerk to Lori and I've seen you have been doing that for the last few weeks. So maybe Lori, you should take a break. Like, I don't think he's going to be like that. That's um, Yeah, he doesn't seem. Yeah, maybe Terry's just a little bit. He's a little empty, you know, empty headed on ladies where he's like, I'm not going to get involved with your relationship. Uh, maybe I'll just play dumb with it. Yeah, he's like, well, maybe, you know, if you're both at Burger City, you'll mend your fences and you'll <laughs> reconcile. And also, I honestly got, I honestly got, I have not watched the end of the film yet. Uh, the, um, the, the big race. Um, okay. I got to it this morning. I said, you know what? I'm going to save it for a bit. I'm going to, I, I, I was watching it this week. I, I, this movie at times for me, I don't want to get into this discussion yet because I want, first of all, I want Sean to be here when I make this discussion because I want to yell at him, but. <laughs> But like, yeah, like it, it's it's me as this young guy looking back on a movie about young people back then and being like, I can certain I can see certain things are relatable. Certain things are like, well, that's that's an old timey thing. But I felt like I felt like two things. One, I knew the race was going to happen at some point because it was like you got to have you have all these old cars. You got to have a race. B, I felt like Burger City is where we started. We're not going to go back to the Burger City until our character arcs are completed. That's how I felt. So I looked at the time and go time code, and I'm just like, well, technically, I don't think he's going to go back to Burger City, or at least like not be ready to talk to Laurie back at Burger City because that I feel like I feel like how the movie's structured. Everyone needs to go out, get their get their licks and get their character arc in, and then. We all meet back at Burger City at the end and kind of reconvene. And then they go, oh, now there's a, a race. I was like, ooh, is it good? Now the race is where we got to, we got to, as you, you hype up. That's like your, you know, you got through all the vegetables. That's your dessert. Oh, yeah. And there is a major turning point in the movie. F at the, so, but spoiler free. I won't spoil that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to treat myself later to it. I got, don't worry. I got a crock pot full of chicken and potatoes. I'm going to treat myself to that later. <laughs> so then after that, we go kind of back to where we have with uh, Kurt and the Pharaohs again. And I love how unsneaky. <laughs> Kurt is, you know, because you see um, Joe, that one pharaoh, you know, he's sneaking and being quiet and he's like, all right. And then you just got Kurt walking along like, all right, hey, what's up? What are we doing? And he's like, get down. <laughs> I just love how obliv- how oblivious Kurt is to being sneaky. I'm very curious. Yeah, I was very curious if like, yeah, yeah, Kurt's completely a complete dork. And Joe is like our like, what if Jimmy, what if, uh, you know, James Dean was complete uh, evil bully? Like what, if, you know, like what if like, you know, uh, he gave up the movie career and decided to, 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 to destroy police vehicles. <laughs> I feel like this is a town where there's like one gang. I can't see this being a town big enough for two gangs that have rivalry because I feel like the these guys wouldn't be aggravating the cops as much as they would be aggravating the other gangs if that's the town we lived in. Because really, like, I mean... Yeah, what do yeah, what do these guys do in town outside of like this aggression toward a cop car? What do these guys got these gang guys really do? Like, do they go out to the t- out of out of the the the, the, the hicks of the the town? Do they have like knife fights? Is it like a is it like beat it? You know, a music video where they're like, all right, we're all gonna meet in a warehouse and cut each other up. I could just see them doing random shenanigans or just like you know, like they do with the police car, just random things like that around the town be like oh those pharaohs 
I do like when he talks about Kurt and, you know, depending on what he chooses to do and how it goes, you know, with blood initiation. And he's like, Kurt's like, oh, yeah. And then he's like, wait, blood initiation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, Kurt, don't don't even ask. You don't want to know. And then, it, you know, like you said, with it being such a small town, it's like, well, would they really do – like, you just <laughs> – would that really be a thing they do or <laughs> – but – that just cracked me up. It's like, yeah, don't don't ask. You don't want to know. <laughs> I think it's I think it's very interesting. If you want, is uh, you might maybe you talked about this earlier when they were at the at the at the the soda pop place, the arcade, and they're robbing it while he's talking to the guys, and they're talking about the the Moose Hall Lodge. It's kind of funny how all right, one's a gang and one's like a, a like a older gentleman's social gathering, you know. But it's both like it's both two different groups that believe. Kurt has a possi- has the possibility of becoming like one of them. Oh yeah. Whereas one's like, you're gonna be a nice, mild mannered man. Like, what is a like? What's a moose? Like, what do they do? Like, you know, like, do they do? Is is it like a Shriners thing? Is it is it like you know? Do they go out and hunt? Do they just sit around in in, in halls and and have bowling alley parties? Like, because it's kind of that's how I see his Kurt is that he's a young guy. He's going to college. And he's going to college on the moose's money, so I assume he's going to owe the moose's something as, like, when he gets older, he's going to have to apply to the moose hollage because he now he owes them. And the pharaohs, sure, they got him kind of stranglehold, like, as in, in, in they got him, they can't, he can't run. But at the same time, it's kind of him being like, you know what, like... As much as I'm a little nervous about this whole tying up the cop thing, it's something outside of his comfort zone. And he's like, he's, and it's kind of like, you know what? I, if I'm going away to college, like, and I get away with doing this, like, maybe this will be. Like, he's, maybe he's being positive. He's not scared. Like, oh, they're going to beat me up. It's kind of like, maybe I'll, maybe I will. Like, maybe I'll, like, I'll, I'll dance, I'll dance with the devil a bit. Oh, yeah, before you. And to me, it kind of represents Kurt as a whole throughout this movie. Like you said, with the earlier scene, it with the, you know, with the arcade and the moose lodge, it's like he's, he, he, it kind of represents, you know, he's feeling that pull in two different directions. Like, do I stay here in my, you know, my hometown and decide not to go to college? And, or do I get out of here and see what's out in the world? So it's kind of that pull into, and he can fit, he could see how he can fit in each part of, or each aspect of, of that, his life. Yeah, it's two different groups that want him part of their group and but both have the same mentality of we do our thing in this town where it's like, okay, let's say, right, he goes to school, I don't know, to business, something very just bland, if you will. It's business. So he gets a business degree. What's he do then? Then he comes back to town and he joins one of the Moose Hall guys's business as like an assistant or as an executive assistant because he went to college on their subscription you know, on their on their money and he's got loyalty to them mr jones or whatever those guys were he's like now he's like rather than going in as an entry level he comes in at a little bit upper he gets a little bit of a pay bonus and you know and now he's like next he knows he's like 45 years old he's working for the moose hall lodge guys and they're like oh you know like you'll there'll be a promotion in your future and he's like great like I, you've already have my entire life structure controlled for me i went to the i went to business school on your dime i come back and now i'm working for you and it's like i don't want to use the word grooming because it sounds too sexual but it's it's really like they just were like 
And this is your life story A to B to C, as we were saying. Like, this is your linear life path. And then the, the fairs give him an idea of, like, what if your life path was you are a rebel. You're in a group, but it's about rebellion. It's about you're, we're doing our own thing. We don't have a plan for tomorrow. What we're doing right now is we're going to screw over the cops. And what are we going to do tomorrow? I don't know. Maybe we'll go outside and smoke and, like, I don't know, like, shoot cap guns or something. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And it's both. I think hopefully it's opening Kurt's eyes to you don't have to just do that thing. You don't have you can once you go to college, you don't owe them. If they the Moose Lodger guys want you to owe something, pay it off and be done with them. You know, go do your own thing. Once you're done your initiation with the fairs, if you don't want to go, just leave. Be like, I'm making my own life choice and being my own man. He could start that rival gang in town. Yeah, and that, and maybe that's that's the that the blonde represents. The blonde represents some goal, some distance where he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen when he finds it, but he wants to know more about the goal. He wants to know what it represents, who it is, and you know, is it achievable? So I don't see the girl as the girl. I see it as something out there that only he saw, only he noticed. That's the thing. No one, no one gives much time to the blonde in the car. Just him. He had yeah. that moment. Because like you would think, in my personal perspective, Steve and Laura in the front, he sees the girl. They like dismiss him. They're just like, oh, you single and you're looking for a blonde? That's tough. Real tough, buddy. And they just drive on. It's like, wow, like, <laughs> it's like, you're not helping him in the slightest. You're not even, so it, it, it definitely feels like his friends in that moment, they don't care. They're having their own path. The Moses had their path laid out for him. The Pharaohs give him another option of a life path. Honestly, yeah, it's like his life doesn't really kick off, I would say, until he meets the Pharaohs. I feel like Kurt's story is, it's, it's boring and directionless until we see there's paths laid out before him and maybe Kurt's going, oh, you know what? I'll take my own path, so. Oh, yeah, I think that's exactly, yeah. Because he thinks, you know, A or B, you know, this is, my life can go this way or this way. But then, yeah, like you said, get the pharaohs thrown in and he's, you know, wild card. And like we talked about, you know, the blonde and it is kind of like, I guess to me, it's kind of like, go chase that dream. Like, go after her, go chase, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Chase your own dream. Don't don't. worry about anyone here. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Everyone else is just dismissing it as if it's not important. But to Kurt, like that's, that's a real goal. He wants to meet the blonde. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He meets her, but he's like, I have, I have the right to at least find the goal. You know, and then I'll figure out what happens then. So uh, right now that goal, if I gotta, if I gotta bust a, if I gotta tie up a cop car to do it. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Go sow your wild oats before you make your life choices. Somewhere in the distance, Dom Toretto was like nodding, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this could be like the pre precursor to the whole Fast and Furious oh, yeah. franchise. I, I, <laughs> like, I mean, we're about to have Fast 9, hopefully by the end of this year in theaters. And 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 yeah, you're right. What Richard Dreyfus is still with us, God bless. So let's let's put him <laughs> in a damn film. Let's put him in a Fast and Furious movie. Come on. I mean, there is a there is a race. In this movie later on, so there we go. <laughs> yeah, like he's got he's earned he's earned his he's earned his way to a. That's all it counts now. Yeah, Harrison Ford is in the race, so we could have Richard Dreyfus and Harrison Ford in a future in an upcoming Fast and Furious movie. I would, I would be very curious if they approach, if Vin Diesel ever approached Harrison and would be like, would you like to be in a movie? You get to drive one of these fast cars. Would Harrison be like, no, or he'd be like, all right, I'll think about it. Like, he's just like, I know. would you like to drive an old, like you get to, you get to drive an old muscle car 
And, uh, you know, you're like, you're, you're there for like a few days. You're there for like a day. Here, you're all the set for a day. You get to pull up in a muscle car and you get to say like a cool one liner. Would you be interested? He'd be like, all right, I'll think about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> I should see that. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. We can only hope. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he, yeah, it's like, I think that's the story with like the Expendables 3, where it was like, oh, yeah, that's- they didn't, ha- they didn't have, Bruce Willis wanted way too much money for not a lot of time. And I think they were like, and so Stallone was like, look, I can't put that much money on you for this small of a role. And that's why Bruce Willis wasn't in it. And I think he literally went to Harrison. He was like, Harrison, I have a budget. You're going to show up as a helicopter pilot. You could be like in a few scenes and say a few one liners. Are you interested? He's like, no, I'm doing. <laughs> and I think that's why Harrison's in Expendables three because they just—they're just like, look, you, would you, are you interested in just having a small cameo? You get to fly a helicopter and you get to, you know, be a crazy helicopter pilot. You interested? Yeah, I'm doing. Would you be interested, Harrison? Yeah, I'm doing. And that's my impression. Yeah, I think they're pretty good. Thank I, you. See. I think that's exactly how it happened. Well. Now that we are talking about Fast and Furious and Expendables, do do you have anything else for this section of the movie? No, I I I really feel like this is a good encapsulation of. I feel like th- this part of the film is now most of our characters' storylines. They went out and they realized something. Maybe not Steve yet. I feel like Steve still has a long way to go. But the first part of his story where it's just like, he can't take Lori for granted. She kicks him out. And now he's got to hoof it back into town. You know, Terry, all of his white lies and stuff, you know, will that kind of come to bite him in the butt? The fact that like, he doesn't have the car. He still, he still, he still has the girl, but she's kind of more like, you know, she's, she's not sure if she wants to hang out with him still. So we're still on that. And and now we have Kurt outside, way outside of his comfort zone and about to do some property damage on a police vehicle. Something that like a day ago, he never would have thought he'd be doing this. So we're at a very cool spot in this film with our characters. Oh, yeah. This is the cross. This is the crossroads, I think, of all of our character arcs. And and, and just a minute before you have John in the car with um, what's his name? It's uh, the actress like Mackenzie, I think, right? Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah, Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah. Playing uh, Carol. That's Carol. Young Carol. Where, you know, he kind of gives her a piece of advice. All right, this guy's fast, but he's not smart. Like, he yep. he has... He's not probably any older than Harrison Ford's character. But he, like, gives Carol... Thing, he's like, I'm not going to just ride around reckless in the middle of town. I'm smarter than that, Carol. And I'm not going to, like, risk you in the car, too. Yeah. Because he, like... Because Falvo blows a red light. And I think that's one of the yeah. things where... John's like, no, 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 I'm not blowing a red light in the middle of town to impress this guy. Like, if we're going to do it, Paradise Road. Like, we're, we're, there's a set time and a place for all this. This out-of-towner guy is way too hot-headed. He's going to get himself in trouble. So, I like that. So, is there anything you would like to plug as to your your works, your podcasts for the listeners at home? I mean, sure. I mean, like I said, I if they like talking about, like, you know, comic books, who does it these days? But uh, I cover the 1999 superhero comedy ensemble, Mystery Men, that I think is gravely overlooked. I think there's a lot of great character and a lot of great comedy that came out before the big bang of the comic book films that we know now. Like, it happened about two years before the Brian Singer X-Men films, and it happened right after Batman and Robin. So that's a crossroads in, like, comic movies where they weren't sure what they were doing. This movie comes out, and I think still has great commentary that I have... 
that I think the last time I saw great commentary on this is probably like what's happening in, uh, what's it called? The Boys on, in, on uh, Amazon. Whereas The Boys has a violence to it. The, both though that show and this movie have a great comedic satire about superhero life and industry. So that's what I talk about with my guests there. All right. Well, that will wrap up our cover on Section 35 of Graffiti, One Song at a Time. He's really fast, isn't he?